Hey everybody, this is Rob Beller, and I just wanted to do a quick introduction on this episode, which we originally recorded at the Elevate conference in February with several interviews that we did with InsureTechs, who were also attending the Elevate conference, which is put on by Exact and Verisk. The reason this is only coming out today is basically because, as we all know, the last several months, four months, we've been dealing with COVID and how it's changed our lives and interrupted things. And this is one of the things that is interrupted. So anyways, we're just going to go ahead and publish it. We hope that you find value in it and that you enjoy it as much as we enjoyed putting it together. Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Matt D. Fothery, Lee Boyd, and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to a special and unique edition of FNO InsureTech. Actually, this is FNO Conferences, isn't that right, Lee? You're right. It's conferences. Uh-huh. And why is it? Well, because we're talking about conference stuff. These are <laughs> interviews that we did at a conference. These are interviews that we did at a conference in February. We are now on the 16th of March today, which is we usually don't mention a date in our podcast, but this one is really unique because we're in the midst of Corona. <laughs> we're in COVID-19 lockdown. I'm locked down in California where of course things are a little bit more dicey than some, at some other places of the country. Yeah. And Lee is in Waco, Texas, where I understand they haven't had their first case yet. Is that right? That is correct. As far as I have seen today, there has not been anything mentioned of that. Mm -hmm. So you what guys about y'all? How many how many have y'all had there in Sacramento? Batting the curve. Uh, the last I saw, which was yesterday, which was Saturday's data, was like thirty five. Oh wow! Um, which of course means that it's significantly higher than that, and that it's present and you know, cruising around the community here. And uh, one thing that we're experiencing here, which I think most people around the country are experiencing, is uh, the panic around grocery stores and right. things being cleaned out. Like we decided yesterday that we were going to make chili, so my son-in-law went to the grocery store and <laughs> all the beans were gone. Oh, wow. There were no beans for chili. Yeah, that's how it is here. I mean, they uh, they've shut down, uh, or I guess they've they've lowered the hours of operation, uh, so mm -hmm. they can restock the shelves. And I know mm -hmm. outside of our HEB in our neighborhood, every morning there is a line, and people really? are lined up to get in, and they're very orderly. I think they let twenty people in at a time right now, and they have limited roughly twenty five different items that you can only get one, two, or three of each. Uh huh. And so they're only letting 20 people in the store at a time? Is that Yeah, it? I think I think just at a time. And then uh -huh. once they get going and shopping, they'll let 20 more in. But they're limiting the number of people who are in there. So now, I've talked I've talked to some folks who went in yesterday, and they said it was, it was fine. It was not chaotic. There, there wasn't mm -hmm. a big line at that moment. Uh, but there, there was very little food uh, that most of it had all been picked over. 
We'd be really interested to hear your stories um, as well as uh, as you listen to this. We're we're thinking that maybe you'll have more time to listen to podcasts. Obviously, you won't be doing a commute. Yeah, uh, most of you. Uh, we at four seventy. We're in the process of moving a lot of our work to work from home. A lot of our right. employees to work from home. And um, how, how, how's that going, Lee? Because you're the, it, right there in Waco. I am, and it's going very well. We had a great plan, and um, and we've put it into place. And uh, every day is a new day, but we do what we can uh, to make sure it's 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 smooth and, and streamlined, and it's it's on track right now. Sure. One of the interesting things for all of us on this podcast today, and you listening, is we're in <laughs> totally uncharted territory uh, in, in modern history, none of us have ever, uh, really, or most of us have never certainly experienced anything like this. And so the rules are kind of being written as we go. Yeah. But you know, Rob, I was just thinking what, what separates our industry a little bit from, you know, like the restaurant industry and, and, and shopping industry is that we are always preparing for, you know, events for catastrophes, for things that we don't know are going to happen. Now, a lot of times it's a hailstorm or a hurricane, but, um, you know, that's our job is to really prepare for the unknown. And so I think that we're in a lot better place that we can adapt to the changes where other industries are not quite as fortunate. You're correct. And I think that we, by the nature of our industry are, have some, um, uh, some, uh, experience around these wild variations, which is exactly what we're going through now. I mean, they're wild variations in directions that we don't usually experience. And I mean, we're we're, we're expecting to see that on the demand side for our services as things continue to lock down. And so um, it's, it's a privilege to be able to be on the podcast and to, and I mean, this is one of the things that can, that must go on. Must the go show on. must go on. The show must go on. So even though shows are being canceled all over the country and most of us wouldn't go to a theater right now to see a show. Yeah. Uh, certainly you couldn't see a show on Broadway if you wanted to today. You, you cannot. But you can listen to FNO InsureTech. It's about the same thing. <laughs> it's many people confuse our podcast for a Broadway show. It's right. true. It's yeah, like true. us and, and uh, Hamilton, right on the same level. That's right. In fact, tomorrow, Lin-Manuel Miranda is going to be a <laughs> guest on our show. So, so everybody, you don't want to miss that one. Make sure you're here for that. Um, although the, the studio audience will be empty. We That's will true. not be allowing people into the studio audience. But uh, but back to the point at hand, we were at Elevate back when they had conferences. Of course, they don't have conferences anymore in the United States or anywhere in the world for that matter. Yeah. But, uh, but we did, and, and we went, and it was a great conference and very interesting, and we've talked about it already. We had on the side with, with, um, with, the with, folk, with folks from, from insurance carriers, and now we have on folks from the InsurTech side, providers of different a few different insure tech solutions and one kind of little asterisk and that's uh, Phil Klotz Phil Klotzbach the uh, Dr. Phil from um, Colorado State University who does the annual hurricane forecasting 
a, a brilliant guy and a really nice guy. And so we included yeah. him here too. Yeah. But not, uh, not a, uh, insure tech guy, not an insure tech guy, but a tech guy. Oh yeah. He's a uh, neat guy too. He's fun to talk to. Uh, he's very interesting. Very healthy. Yeah. Very healthy. Big he hiker. Very healthy. He, yeah. Yeah. I, he I lives think in Colorado. Why would you not hike? Actually, you know what? He lives in California. Not too far from me. L- shows, how, shows how much I learned on the podcast. Little, see, little secret. See, see there. So anyways, uh, we have five interviews on this tape that we'd love for you to listen to. And, um, and then we'll be back on Friday with our normal episode. And uh, so without further ado, let's get into our five different interviews with people from the InsureTech world from the Elevate conference uh, that happened in February of this year. Well, hey, everybody. We are back with another interview today. Uh, I'm very excited about this. This is a good friend of mine, Scott Beatty, and he is the product director of Exact Analysis. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Lee. Thank you. Well, I am very excited to visit with you. Uh, We've known each other for for a while now, and you are in a new role uh, here at Exactware uh, running Exact Analysis. Is that that fair to say? That's correct, yeah. As product director, yeah. Yeah. Well, so... Tell, what, what does that mean? What do you, what do you do? Great question. Uh, and that can change depending on what day it is. But uh, overall responsibility is for the delivery of uh, the product strategy for that uh, for that product, and so that involves uh, executing on the product strategy for um, the current features, but also to innovate and, and find new ways of doing uh, existing functions and actions, but also trying to discover new ways of doing. Uh, doing the same thing. So exact analysis hasn't changed a lot in the past, I don't know, five, six years, 10 years, something like that. I, I've been using exact analysis for many, many years, early on as an adjuster and then as a manager in the in the claim space. Uh, I guess, is this role to kind of try to uh, update exact analysis or, or change it a little? Yeah, I think that's fair. We, you know, it hasn't, the core functionality hasn't changed a ton. We've We've been through several iterations of trying to uh, modernize certain aspects of the product and, and keep it keep it relevant, make sure it's answering the right questions. Yeah. Um, but this role really is about uh, uh, really trying to innovate further. And so, um, for example, we, we've got uh, four development teams that are co-located here in our, in our facility here in uh, Lehigh, Utah. Okay. And two of those teams are dedicated to innovation. And so that's been a real... Um, a real benefit of this uh, role is to be able to leverage uh, different ways of thinking to apply to an older product right. that we could we could enhance further for our customers. So that's so, been a lot of fun. That's good. So whenever you're looking at changing it, what do you what do you do? Is it is it you just decide we need to make a change, or do you go to clients and talk to them? How do you how do you decide? So there's a lot of thought and work that goes into that, and uh, one of the things that I've uh, tried hard to bring into this role uh, from the outset is to uh, work extremely close with our customers, making sure that we're uh, researching correctly, proactively engaging with them through a variety of different uh, user experience methods. Yeah. Um, one is the, the concept of a design sprint, which okay. is discovery calls um, where the whole team listens in to the customer challenges, the customer problems, both with their business and also with um, maybe use of our product, but more importantly, why they can't use that product perhaps for all areas of their business. So yeah. um, adopting those kind of techniques, having the full team listen in, 
right the way through developers, QA, uh, designers, documentation, mm-hmm. and project management to make sure that we're actually listening, understanding, and then prototyping something out the other end. Um, present that back to the customer to be able to uh, validate if we're on the right track. Yeah. I've actually been able to go through a couple of those with you in the past. You have, yes. And they are so professionally done. Is that is that something you're you're trained in? Uh, you know, it's... Uh, it, it isn't. Okay. <laughs> uh, I've taken uh, taken a lot of inspiration from some really smart folks that we have at Exactware in the user experience space. Yeah. And I engage with them on on uh, mediating the sessions, kind of driving the ideation workshop piece of, yeah. of that project. Um, but really, it's um, facilitating that discussion. And so, if you're organised and and uh, you have the connections to be able to pull those people together, right? It's actually quite straightforward to dedicate time to it. And if the whole team is on board with that approach, uh-huh. you can get some outstanding results. And we've seen some real gains in that process. Well, that, um, that's wonderful. Yeah. So you 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 actually led a session today or yesterday, um, and during that session you talked about uh, some things that are now and mm-hmm. next and in the future. Let us know a little bit. What what is what is on the roadmap for exact analysis? Right. So uh, I think an overarching theme really for anything that we're doing right now is what are the what are the high traffic areas of the application okay. that could really do with some some more love and more attention yeah. and uh, a consistent um, you know a, a consistent um, handling of of how we can uh, can make things better. So is it the user experience of uh, logging into the app, what they can do whilst they're in there, how they can make their workday more efficient, more effective, yeah. um, and then still achieve the same you know, output, but perhaps in a more effective way. So things like the first impression when you, when you log into the application, what can I see on my dashboard? What's important right. to me? Opening that up a little bit more to um, the different roles of user that we have. We have a, a really broad range of users that uh, use the product. So yeah. Um, we don't want to prescribe what they can see. We want to be able to let people uh, adjust their content for their experience. So that's mm-hmm. one area. Um, returning data very quickly, we, we talked yesterday about uh, how customers uh, can leverage better search techniques. Yeah. Um, very, so, very big. Advanced search is, I live in advanced search. Right. And, and uh, many of our customers do. And so uh, reducing the amount of scrolling. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of fields in there that you can filter on. Um, making that a single page view, adding filters and column sets and being able to share those search parameters easily mm-hmm. uh, and to distribute those amongst the team is important. And to remove the navigation away from that page and to be able to just have the user search for what they want and return those results very quickly. So a big emphasis this year on user experience, Good. big emphasis this year on making the users of our product much more effective in their daily work. You had, you had also shown uh, about notifications, uh, a possibility of, of using those in a different way. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, so really the driving factor there was uh, one of the complaints that we'd had from customers is uh, that they had too many emails coming through to them. They get emails from their, maybe their own proprietary system that they have, right. maybe get notification emails from exact analysis. Uh, aside from all of the regular day-to-day business emails that they might get. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were trying to think of new ways to to approach that and remove the dependency on email notifications. Yeah. Bringing in uh, in-app notifications that 
would uh, help to bring the app up to you know, modern standards that people expect now. Uh, making sure that we're not just relying solely on email and that we were introducing another way to complement uh, how users of the product can receive important updates and notifications on the work that they've been assigned. Yeah. Whether you're uh, an adjuster or whether you are um, a reviewer or uh, a claims manager. So it really depends on you know how you want to use those. We're not going to get rid of the email notifications, but it would be a uh, something that would complement you know, some people might prefer to have the in-app notifications. Yeah, I think it's really neat. And I think I think working on the user experience is so important uh, because any time that I can be saved uh, is wonderful. Uh, if I have to take a long... And I think early you actually talked about the underlying uh, databases could, could run up to maybe four times faster. Isn't that right? So yeah. some of the searches could be quicker. It's actually... Yeah, and, and that's being generous. So there's actually... Um, oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, not generous enough. Uh, sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, we've we've seen gains of anywhere between five to ten times the the speed. So that's great. Um, big change on the back end to be able to support that, um, returning a large amount of data quickly. So, so so here at the Exact Word Conference, as we bring this to an end, uh, you've been here uh, numerous times. What uh, for somebody who has not been at the conference, what is a recommendation you would give them whenever they they come? I think the event pro it provides a fantastic networking opportunity as well, um, bringing bringing various subject matter experts all in one spot. That's always a, a very uh, very clear uh, plus of attending the conference. I think as well, it's um, we learn as much from our customers as perhaps they learn from the sessions. Yeah. Um, but for a first time attendee. I think it's just a really great opportunity to see how cohesive some of the solutions can be when they work together. Right. And perhaps um, they haven't seen all of the uh, the advancements in those tools. We have, you know, the various product groups move pretty fast in, in adapting the uh, uh, the technologies year on year. Yeah. And that's a constant process. So um, we're trying to not just uh, show off the new shiny stuff, but also make sure that we're validating ourselves against what are the real problems that we're trying to solve as a business for our customers. So I love that. Having, having an insight into that is, uh, I, I would say, is probably the most valuable thing and the networking opportunities that complement that. That's wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you uh, coming. And uh, if anybody ever does uh, come for the first time to ExactWare, look up Scott. He's a great guy, a wonderful person to, to get to know. So thank you. Thank you very much thank for being you, a part. My, my pleasure. Thank okay. you so much. Well, so we have Andy Greff here today, CEO of Planner. Andy, thanks for being on. It's awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. So you were on the podcast uh, previously, and we thank you for coming yeah. back. Yeah, I yes. wanted to see if you could give our listeners a little bit of an update on Planner. What's been going on? Sure, absolutely. No, we've been busy releasing new product, our latest product called Planner Snap. Um, we've taken all of our learnings from uh, our previous product, Planner okay. Pro, which I spoke to you about before. Yeah. And what we've done is just made it easier to capture. So basically, it's a virtual claim solution that anybody can use, uh, specifically for the low severity claims on the inside. And at the heart of our, our system is we've generated a, and created an AI system that through photos, we can generate and automatically generate 3D models of rooms, fully measured, all the pictures embedded into the 3D model, 
And effectively, that goes back up to the desk adjuster. And the desk adjuster can simply uh, look at the photos, they can look at the 3D model, and they can look at the report, and they can desk adjust some of these low severity interior claims as a result. That's so awesome. It's a great combination of using um, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, um, computer vision yeah. uh, to simplify that capture process. So this is all done through taking photos, mm -hmm. is that right? That's it, yeah. So so what about the what about the, the point and click with the lines? So what we found is adjusters like using that because it yeah. gives you instantaneous results. Right. Right. But the training you still have to get trained on to use it, right? Sure. And what we found was um, how should I put this uh, delicately? That some people wanted to l learn new technology and some people don't. And I, right, think, right. I think to a certain extent, um, we overshot it a little bit. You know, we, we made it really, really new, really shiny, really, you know, you have to use augmented reality and you have to understand where all the lines and everything go. Mm -hmm. And that was a whole totally new concept to people. Yeah. And so we dialed it back a bit, the simplicity on the capture side. And so we moved the complexity up to the cloud and so let our AI engine do what previously we were asking people to do on the point and click. That's so, awesome. So a lot simpler, two minutes a room, um, generates all the outputs, windows, doors. We just released um, complex ceilings so we can do tray, peak, slope. Oh, nice. Because um, that was a big feature request, yeah. uh, add cabinetry. So basically the results that you get back are a fully measured 3D model with cabinetry, architectural elements all built in. Um, shareable to um, the inspector, to the contractor, to the homeowner if you want. Yeah. Um, wow. And you can uh, export it to CAD file. You can use it to desk adjust. And one of the reasons why we're here is to work with Xactimate to, to improve that process and getting it into uh, Xactimate. Okay. Yeah. That's wonderful. Is that is something in the works with that? I hope so, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're, uh, you know, they're doing a lot better about supporting startups and, and okay. integrating into the ecosystem, I think. Uh, the carriers have asked them, you know, there's a lot of new technology out there and they right. don't want to be dependent upon exact, exact mate and exact wear and bears to, to be the, the sole supplier for new technology. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of us insurtech startups are popping up and, and we're able to focus and, and deliver new product that, that is faster and more nimble and things like that. And sure. so, so they're adopting it and they're, they think it's, uh, it's something that they should integrate into as well. So that's great. That. Yeah, we talked to Mike Fulton today, and uh, I know in the keynote he was talking about how they're integrating with uh, nearly a, a, a company a week. Uh, and he said some of those are, are internal bear risk companies, but many are outside. So yeah. I, I'm excited about that because uh, just for user adoption, a seamless uh, integrated process is always the best. Uh, and, and I hope that that really moves forward. Well, if you think about it, there, there's... What they're trying to do is create a, a marketplace, right? Sure. Where they make money on either side, right? And that's smart, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed yeah. to, hey, I'm just going to make money when it comes in, um, when the claim comes in. If they can make money on the front end and the back end, that's great for them. And and that's how a lot of businesses, Amazon, for example, right. you know, scale, right? Yeah, Mike even uh, alluded to the fact that it's not really the competition they're worried about. A lot of times, the biggest hurdle is just all the security and the technology yeah. that drives the data back and forth is really. Sometimes the biggest hangup, and I'm sure that's uh, that's a beast. We're going through that right now. We're so, going yeah. through that right now. Yeah. I was wondering about that. Mike was saying that's a big deal, that mm -hmm. uh, they want to make sure. I guess there's a lot of applications that you have to go through or, or proving yourself. There or? is, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, security is important. Um, fortunately, on our side is we don't we don't capture a lot of PII. Oh, right? okay. Sure. Um, using computer vision vision and, and some of the back-end tech, you can scrub out any PII that you find, like faces. Sure. Um we don't need to know anything at all about the, the policy holder at all. Right. 
if you think about it, all we really getting our pictures are inside of the home. Mm-hmm. And so we scrub out things that might be considered PII, and then otherwise we shoot it off. And then the back end, Azure, yeah. you know, AWS, all very secure. Uh, we can even deploy the whole thing in a, in a, a different data center if need be. That's, so That's really nice. Yeah. Well, so tell us about the conference. So uh, we're here. We're here with 700 of our closest friends. <laughs> uh, what brings you and Planner to the ExactWare conference? What do you want to get out of it, and why do you come? The biggest thing is awareness, right? Okay, so sure. there's only so much marketing literature that carriers pay pay attention to. Right. Right. So uh, they're inundated with so many things. So this is a great place for us to meet them, uh, tell them what's new, uh, meet some executives that, that um, we know that if you're going to get anything done in a carrier, it's got to start at, you know, at a corporate initiative and you got to start at the high level person who can push it down and make it happen. Yeah. Especially, I mean, you guys know on virtual claims and doing anything like this, it's, it's so transformative that that if you don't have the right person pushing it down and, and really putting their their career on the line to a exactly, certain extent yeah. sure. um, and their belief, um, um, then it's not going to go anywhere. So uh, I think from this thing, it's, it's reinforcing the technology is um, the next step in the process. Yeah. But they've got to embrace it. I mean, even all the, the exact uh, guys are all up there. All they did was talk about what? AI. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, all about insure tech. It's yeah. all about insure tech. It's it's uh, it's going to change it whether you like it or not. Right. Um, and the carriers are really pushing on this thing. So uh, yeah, it's not coming anymore. It's here. Yeah, it's here. We're, it's here. We're in the yeah. middle of it. So and and you know what's interesting is we take the approach and this is a hard lesson that we learned on the last product is you can have too much technology, right? True. Yeah, absolutely. And so you'll see the um, if you end up using our, our planner snap app, you, you'll see it's actually really simple. It's like 16 megs, very low, low bandwidth, um, low uh, storage. It's uh, super easy to use, but we don't yeah. do a, a lot on the on the front end. So there's not a lot of tech there, really. It's just a simplified UI, and then on the back end is where all the technology is. That's and, smart. Yep. I think that's great. So, you know, whenever I first met you, I felt like your go-to-market uh, really was through the adjuster mm-hmm. or through the user. Is that the same, or is it move more to the carrier uh, trying to, to uh, sell to the carriers where then they push it down? That's right. Yeah, okay. I think the starting with the we made the transition probably around last summer, and going to the carriers was important for us. Number yeah. one, um, they're the folks that are going to pay for it ultimately, right? Right. And then um, if they're going to work with multiple IAs and multiple companies, then there's probably needs to be some standardized technology there right. for them to adopt, and then have all the other IAs use. So yeah. um, we found that that was probably the best process. Well, I think that's good. We've dealt with carriers who, who they do that. They they implement a new technology and they push it down. And then we deal with others who allow us to use our own technologies. Mm-hmm. But you don't get that uh, uniform appearance uh, whenever it's all coming back in. Different right. technologies are being used on the AI front right. or adjuster front. Right. So I think that's a great market and I think that's a great go-to plan. Yep. So yeah. Consistent data, that's a big deal. Whether it's uh, an adjuster taking the pictures or capturing data or inspector, gig worker or homeowner, Consistency of data is huge for them. It's huge. It's huge. And the desk adjuster world is, uh, is I think it's evolving. Yeah. You guys know you Absolutely. have desk adjusters. They're, they're totally different breed. Yeah. Uh, well, what do different. you guys call them? Oh, well, we call them desk adjusters because that's kind of what the industry term is. But okay. there's all sorts of different words out there. We uh, Our video online is says a digital desk adjuster. And digital. she's pretty she's pretty uh, adamant that she's a digital desk adjuster. There so it's a, it's a different breed, right? Because the desk adjusters today, without technology, they're using... I consider them kind of hackers in a good way. It's yeah. it's a very it's a positive comment for me in that 
you know, they have to figure out, look at all the data available to them, and then they have to, like, I'm counting ceiling tiles or right. I'm counting cinder sure. blocks or whatever it is. Yeah. And so if the if the data is synthesized and digitized in a, in a seamless way or in a, a similar way for everything, uh-huh. then they don't have to do that. And what they can do is focus more on their expertise, which is writing the claim and, and becoming better, faster at that. So. Yeah, and that's where... You know, after today's keynote, that's where we feel like it's going. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wants to put, and it's been a couple of years now, but I really feel like the transition's happening where uh, a lot of the expertise are moving to the desk mm-hmm. and we're allowing the field to continue to be experts in what they do, mm-hmm. uh, but to focus more on uh, tasks or to focus more on inspections where they might not have to learn uh, as many technologies. I, I think the evolution, he mentioned that, that how many uh, independent adjusters are retiring every year. Yeah. But I think... I think this actually opens up a, a, an opportunity for those guys to not have to retire. Right? I agree. The, sure. the folks that can't climb ladders and I crawl agree. spaces anymore, this gives them an opportunity to make, make nice money yeah. um, working at home or working in a HQ or whatever it is. You're exactly right. So you don't want that expertise to walk out the door or retire. Yeah, I think the key there is is what y'all hit upon is uh, getting back to simplicity. And, I, and we've seen some companies dial it back, right, where yeah. they've been overly technical and really – the sweet spot for us is that experience adjuster, but if it gets overly technical, then we tend to lose that market mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. where, uh, where some of the technology that's really a little more simplified really utilizes right. their um, knowledge base better, and, it, and you don't have to have them so technologically proficient that, right. that, that it scares them off that position. So it's a, you know, it's, a, it's a tricky process. I mean, ours is an asynchronous process, meaning like mm-hmm. – <clears throat> You don't have to have a desk adjuster and a person in the field doing it simultaneously, like on the live video collaboration yeah. tools, yep. right? This is something that um, you can do it at midnight, you can do it at 7 a.m. or whenever the adjuster has to go out and to, right. and, and to handle it. So that asynchronous process is actually unique in the, in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've just figured out a way to make it simple to, to do that data capture. Well, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to, to see what the future holds for you. I'm a big believer in Planner. I think it's a great, uh, a great tool. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see where it goes in the future. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for visiting with us. Thanks today. for your time. Today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks, Andy. Hi, everybody. Uh, so right now we have the opportunity to visit with Tomer Peran. Tomer is the head of business development for Matterport. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. So Matterport. So <laughs> we've heard a lot about Matterport. I've read a lot about Matterport. Mm-hmm. But for our audience members, why don't you tell us a little bit, what is Matterport? Sure. So Matterport started actually in 2011 and really went to market, our first market, real estate in 2014. Uh, initially, we were a method to really quickly and affordably capture any built space, interior space, and uh, uh, create a digital twin of that space. Okay. Uh, and then that digital twin enables you to walk around and view that space remotely, whether it's from your phone, your computer, or even VR. Uh, quickly, uh, you know, I was I came to Matterport around 2016, and my initial uh, uh, focus was. Um, you know, go see where 3D technology applies outside of real estate. Okay. Uh, initially ventured into the architecture and engineer, building engineering space where we were helping architects um, quickly capture spaces for remodels, bring that into their CAD or BIM files, Autodesk uh, suite, and design from there. Uh, that quickly led us to the uh, construction world where general contractors today were used by 300 of the top 400 general contractors to 
uh, both capture those spaces pre-construction as well as update progress during construction. And finally, scan kind of a behind-the-walls x-ray vision scan uh, and hand that over to building owners, which led us to our next vertical, yeah. uh, building owners facility property management, okay. uh, where we're used to remote inspect facilities, uh, risk manage, emergency plan, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, scan for inventory in the case of a claim, uh, and that led us to the insurance space where uh, we've been at in the past year and a half. And that's definitely what I've been focused on for the past year and a half, where we're f- focused both on the risk uh, engineering side, okay. where we provide uh, essentially a lower cost inspection uh, than sending out your own risk engineer if you're a carrier, right. uh, but at a much higher quality than an actual physical inspection. Yeah. Um, because we enable uh, much more detailed documentation, uh, and we uh, capture the space dimensionally, right? So if a risk engineer wants to know distance between sprinklers, uh, they could easily measure for that with Matterport and so, so on. So is Matterport the camera or is Matterport uh, the behind-the-scenes engine or is it's it all, both? It's all Matterport. Yeah, we, we definitely like to think of ourselves much more of a data platform. Okay. Right? And that data platform involves capture devices. Some of them we uh, uh, create ourselves, like okay. a Pro 2 camera. $3,000 uh, device covers 2,000 to 4,000 square feet an hour. Yeah. Gets you 99% accurate uh, dimensions wow. and 140 megapixels imagery, right? 5X zoom at 4K yeah. quality. Uh, but then we also partner with other hardware manufacturers. So you can uh, go uh, for, and this is very popular in our construction space, an $18,000 LiDAR scanner that's going to get you 99.9% accurate, right. far range, outdoor capabilities. Uh, and then we also go lower end with uh, 360 cameras. Right? Oh, um, I and, see. Okay. And those 360 cameras cost 300 to $400. They get you about 95% accuracy, uh, okay. but they're a lot faster and cheaper. And then really excited to unveil here at Elevate our new solution, which is mobile capture. Oh, tell me about that one. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and that's been getting a lot of the insurance carriers very excited because now we've enabled essentially a do-it-yourself policyholder yeah. both risk and claims documentation. So, um, so, so somebody can, can use their smartphone, walk through the home, and capture the same the same data that they would with one of the other cameras, I guess? Exactly. Uh, at, at, again, the lower accuracy than we get with our professional solutions. Okay. So most of our restoration contractor customers and adjusters uh, and forensic engineering customers want the high accuracy. Right. And they'll use the pro or higher. Yeah. Uh, but definitely for those lower end claims uh, for you know single room damage uh, uh, type claims, as well as to get an accurate kind of risk uh, um, you know, underwriting data uh, for carriers, a policyholder is able to simply walk through the home, as you say, probably take them 20, 25 minutes to capture their 2,000 square foot home yeah, uh, and transmit that directly to the insurance carrier. And so the output is kind of like a blueprint, right? But, uh, but using photos from the phone, is that how that works? So the way it works actually is because we've spent about five years accruing over two and a half million 3D models using yeah. our pro solution. Now our pro solution has an actual 3D sensor on it, right? It okay. transmits infrared and points it and shoots it back to the camera. So you're able to calculate the dimensions of a room. I get it. Um, but we, we, uh, uh, we mash that up with a 360 uh, degree panoramic 2D image okay. that's captured from that same location. Now, because we have so many of these 3D scans matched with 2D, 
we're able to now with artificial intelligence essentially guess the 3D off 2D imagery. Wow. So we don't need you don't need any 3D sensor on your phone or these 360 camera which are essentially just a fish eye 2D right. camera. Okay. We're able to still generate this, you know, sadly you can't see this but this 3D model uh, this elaborate 3D model that's going to capture everything from ceiling, uh, you know, ceiling floors, walls, obviously, but door, door types, cabinets, kitchen islands, everything in 3D um, using only your regular iPhone camera. Wow. So so with that, if I'm a desk adjuster and I have an insured go out and actually capture these photos, am I able to use those photos and then find measurements with oh, those? Yeah. yeah, at 95% accuracy, which wow. is, you know, for all sense of purposes, uh, very good uh and uh it's uh you know you again if if a higher level of detail is needed then it's either we have services as well right so that adjuster can say you know what i want higher accuracy i want higher detail higher image resolution with a click of a button they can have one of our service providers go and scan that location at high accuracy uh and I guess as it relates to this conference, we are able to produce from our 3D imagery uh, uh, very easily uh, uh, an Xactimate sketch, an Xactimate compatible sketch. Is it is it integrated, or how does that work? I don't like to use the I word, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, but uh, but it's compatible. Compatible, which means that if I I can import it into okay. Xactimate, and I don't need as an adjuster or restoration contractor or building consultant, I don't need to sketch anything. So, so you can import it, and a sketch can be created that way. Yeah, exactly. That so is that's no wonderful. No sketch needed. Yeah. Okay, and this is a new announcement, right? This is something. So new the sketch that you're is allowed. something that we've been baiting for about a year. Okay. Uh, we're releasing it uh, this coming April Great. to kind of general availability and at scale. Uh, at reduced pricing and at um, at a 24-hour turnaround. Yeah. Right. So that's going to be our uh, our big um, April launch for that. The okay. smartphone capture becomes available for general availability in about a month. We've been beta testing it. Wonderful. Uh, for about six months. Um, so that's that's coming very soon as well. So what is your go go to market strategy with this? Is it go to the insurance carriers and then have them push it down to the inspectors, or or is it go to the inspectors and use on all sorts of insurance carriers claims? So mainly with a smartphone capture, it's a do-it-yourself policyholder. Okay. Uh, so we're going to the carriers directly, and we have an SDK that the carrier can embed our capture into their app. So essentially, a policyholder sees this as the Liberty Mutual scanning yeah. model in okay. his in his own Liberty Mutual policyholder app. I see. Uh, so it's kind of white labeled like that with kind of a powered by matter port. I see. Um, that's the main go to market with the smartphone. Um, on the 360s and Pro 2, we've mainly sold it to well anyone you could think of from adjusting firms to TPAs to primarily restoration contractors. There's yeah. a huge advantage there because they're already on site. Absolutely. Uh, usually with lower cost labor, and they have the ability to scan at several points in time with the carrier where it really likes. Uh, they want to see pre-mitigation, post-mitigation, post-repair. Yeah. It's a large loss, maybe sometimes mid-mitigation, mid-repair, progress updates, and contractors able to do that because you have staff on site. How long, how long does it take for the 3D image or the measurement piece to be available after you capture the photos? Uh, it depends on the size of okay. the model, right? So we just uh, demoed to a carrier here in our suite as we capture that suite. 
with about six scans. It uh-huh. took about um, seven minutes to capture, okay. a minute to upload, and 10 minutes to process. Wow. Right? Extremely fast, but that's a yeah. very small. Small point. area. A 2,500-square-foot home, roughly 60 scan points, takes between two and four hours in about 80% of cases. Can be lower, can be higher, depending on the queue that we have that day. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know... I appreciate you so much coming by. Tell me, what do you think about the the Elevate Conference? I love it. It's my second time coming. It's definitely a place to meet. Um, you know, it's a for us. It's this annual gathering where we meet all of our customers, all of our prospects. Yeah. From the restoration side, from the carrier side, from the uh, uh, um, IA TPA side, yeah. and, and really every every uh, stakeholder in the claims process. Uh, so for us, it's great. Um, you know, um, it's you know also. I guess the other aspect is meeting all the Verisk folks here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and have had great meetings and have a lot of great meetings planned. That's great. Um, they're very excited about our solution and what we could add to the you know the claims ecosystem, if you will. Wonderful. Um, so, yeah, we're very excited about that as well. They always say it's a place that business gets done. And I see that after we talk to people. You know, we talked to Mike Fulton earlier today. He said upstairs there's 125 different meetings going on with just various people alone, which is a lot of meetings. And you're seeing 700 different people around here. It's a great place to come see everybody. So I'm glad that's working out for you. Definitely is. Well, good luck with all of the uh, new rollouts. uh, I'm a big fan of Matterport, and I think it's a really neat uh, solution. So thank Thank you you so much much for being on today. Of course. My pleasure. Anytime. Thanks. We're here with an alumnus, an alumni. Alumni? Is that singular? I think I'm one. Anyways, we're here with somebody who's done our podcast before on a couple of different occasions. Jen Hevelone. The difference about Jen Hevelone today and Jen Hevelone the last time she was with us is Jen Hevelone is now with Next Gear Solutions. A big change for you. Tell us about that. I am absolutely thrilled. First, thank you for help having me back. I always enjoy spending time with you all, and it is a privilege to be on the podcast with We're you. We're privileged to have you. So the big change is, yes, I'm with Next Gear Solutions, and we are a technology company that really focuses on inspection, scoping, and auditing tools. Mm-hmm. And I have, as you know, I was in the claims space and the independent adjusting space for almost my entire career prior to that I was with the carrier but I'd spent the last over two decades in the IA space and I am have had a passion for a number of years about the technology piece and how those tools support what we do Mm -hmm. boots on the ground and this is an amazing opportunity for me to take what I know about claims handling to take what I know about what adjusters need to be able to execute and deliver on that promise that's made to those policyholders that experience a loss and bridge that over in the technology world so I really feel like I'm in a position to do best of both worlds I get to leverage my expertise but learn and engage in a different level and contribute in a different level to our industry so you're going from being a buyer of technology, kind of, on the IA side, to a seller of technology. Is that very different? Correct. Um, I don't know that I would call it very different. I think that it's very, I I think it's been a little bit eye-opening 
where looking from a different perspective, I can really understand maybe some of the stumbles that I've had when, was tr when I was trying to implement it into organizations that I led or was responsible for executing on claims handling. And it's been, it, it has me, looking through a different lens helps me realize where some of my shortcomings were in uh -huh. implementing that. Uh -huh. And then also I think it's allowing me to perhaps suggest other ideas within our organization on how we can support our customers through that change in that buying process. Mm -hmm. I would think that with in the independent adjusting space, really we're selling people, so to speak, selling the services that people do. Whereas in software, you're selling software, right? Not so much you're selling, you know, really we have the best people and this is the training we provide to the people and the technology to support the people. But now you're talking about software. That must be very different. It is very different because moving from that service to a product, the right. delivery looks and feels quite a bit different. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, though, what that process is different. But at the end of the day, the why behind what we do hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. So what we are doing at the end of the day is restoring a life after a loss, regardless of the size of that loss. Mm -hmm. And that is still my passion. That is still my why. Mm -hmm. And I'm just facilitating that in a slightly different manner. Mm -hmm. So how does uh, this conference, how does Elevate kind of figure into everything for next year and, and, and for Jen Havilon? And for those of you who don't know, Je Jen has been coming here for years and has spoken here almost every year and this year you should all know we are doing a panel together uh about um, assessing and implementing technology and lee boyd will be on it and matt father will be on it and tony triola from liberty mutual will be on it so uh but 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 i digress back to my question what what what's elevate mean for uh for you and what what's it mean for next year Sure. No, I, I have had the privilege to speak at Elevate actually every year since they've done it. And so that's been the always continues. I know it's always been a lot of fun. Um, and the conference, I, you know, there's several things that I get out of it, not the least of which is connecting with people within our industry, customers, friends, peers, um, and being able to set aside time working in the business to work on the business. And I think that that's true for most of the participants that are here, the insurance carriers, the contractors, restoration business, they come, they, they take time out of their day to work on their business instead of working in their business. And that's not really any different in my role with Next Gear when we talk about getting time with our clients to see what your changing needs are and how we can support that. When we look at partner and vendor integrations, we have an integration with Exactware and understanding how we can further leverage that integration to deliver service to our customers. Mm -hmm. That integration with Exact must mean a lot to you guys. It does. I, and I think, you know, more importantly, it means a lot to our mutual customers. Uh -huh. So you mentioned that you're seeing it through, you're seeing the business through a different lens. Share some of what you've learned sure. by, by having that experience. You know, I think probably single-handedly is what I've learned is how I measured success of a technology implementation as a customer or user of technology versus how I measured it versus how I would suggest a customer measures it now. And I think being a user, I had an ideal state in mind 
And so when we were piloting products or looking at the viability of a product, I was comparing it to this ideal state as opposed to where we actually were. Mm-hmm. And I think that what I would suggest to users of technology is to think incrementally and how the needle moves. So you're starting over at, you know, pick a number, zero, two, three, four, five on a scale. And your anticipation is that you move to 100. And if you don't move all the way over to 100, you view it as a failure. And what I would suggest is that moving it from a zero, from a five over to a 20, 25 is actually success. And if you start moving the needle incrementally, then you're going to get further along than is if you always are starting back over at zero. So kind of lower your expectations? No, I don't think it's lowering the expectations. I think that it is being realistic at where your starting point is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that oftentimes we may lose sight of where we actually are today in our operations Uh as opposed to where we want to be or as opposed to what our ideal state would look like. And Uh so really taking an honest look at where you are today Uh and what type of improvement you will gain out of your technology solution is critical. Mm -hmm. So the, the, um, one of the themes here, which was brought up in the keynote was, uh, are you trying to take my job away from me? Right. And now you're on the technology side and some people consider that a threat, but I know you've always been very people oriented coming out of the IA space and adjuster oriented. Has that, has your view evolved or grown or matured or changed as a result of now being on the software side and seeing what, what these technologies are up to? I think my view remains pretty consistent, but perhaps a bit more passionate that technology enables the human connection. Technology does not replace the human connection. So I know that you all have had it where we have a breakdown in a customer experience, customer service issues. And most of the time it's from a capable resource who said, I didn't have the time. I did not have the time. Technology enables that resource to be able to focus his or her efforts on the right thing, that human connection and service delivery, as opposed to the mechanics, the nuts and bolts. Uh-huh. And so when you're talking about threats, change is scary. Change will always be scary, regardless of your, whether it's your job, your home life, whatever that looks and feels like. But I would encourage anyone that's facing that change to think about how that drives more meaning in your work and it facilitates a better experience. I don't think anyone would argue that the claim experience that we're nailing it. That, that as an industry that we're crushing that experience. Right. And so we have a, a long way to go. And I think that technology solutions enables improving that as opposed to replacing it. I, I, I like that perspective that uh, it, it will help us to, to do it better, mm-hmm. right? And to focus our priorities more, more correctly. I mean, how many times have we heard from adjusters, I didn't have the time or I'll do it. I'm, I'm getting to it. I'm busy. I'm in the field, blah, blah, blah. I'm overwhelmed. I would have liked to have been able to spend more time with them. I knew that they needed more time, but I just simply didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. So you're a little bit of a uh, celebrity <laughs> in this in our little world that we work in. It's true. I mean, it's true. Like you said, you've spoken at the conference every year forever. Um, how are people treating you now that you've changed? I mean, everybody, I think, thought of you 
Jen Hevelone was synonymous with uh, with Eberl Claim Service. You were there your whole career. Is it is are, are people treating you any differently? I have one. I vehemently disagree that I'm a celebrity. Let's just put that out there to the world. Um, those are Rob's words, not my words. Well, we can get we can have a vote no. on that. We no, 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 right no. I, I vehemently disagree with that. But I um, I have forged lifelong connections in and so I you know this was an opportunity for me to personally develop and take my career in a different way so I'm very fortunate I have the the team members that I worked with are are very supportive Mm -hmm. and my new team is very gracious and welcoming so it's been good all the way around and I'm very fortunate to have positive meaningful relationships that continue in the industry. Well, we're excited to be your friend. Of course. And that you're a friend of our podcast and a friend of our company and uh, and that you get to be on a panel with us today. We're, I, we're, we're honored by that. I, I feel the exact same way with you all, so thank you very much. Okay. Well, we thank you for stopping by and for chatting with us today, and we look forward to our uh, panel in a few hours. Same. Thank you so much. Well, hi, everybody. So now we get to speak with Bill Clockspot with Colorado State University. Welcome to the podcast again. Thanks so much for having me. Great. This is your third time on, I believe. That's correct. And yes. so we always look forward to visiting with you. You are here at the conference to really get to visit about the 2020 uh, hurricane season and uh, what all we are uh, going to be looking for. So I'm excited to visit with you. Uh, so why don't we do that? Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself for those who haven't heard? Uh, what do you do and what makes you so good at hurricanes? Okay, so I'm Phil Klotzbach. I work in the atmospheric science department at Colorado State University. I'm a research scientist there. And our group is best known for seasonal hurricane predictions, which we've been doing um, all the way since 1984. Dr. Bill Gray founded the seasonal hurricane forecast back in 1984. It was the first group to actually do okay. these predictions. We've been doing them every year um, ever since. So that's our primary focus, and I do a lot of research related to prediction of hurricanes on seasonal timescales, on shorter timescales, down to, say, what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks, and I'll research all the way out to climate change timescales, how hurricanes may change, you know, 20, 50, 100 years from now. Wow. So tell us... Uh what does 2020 have in store for us? Yeah, so we do our first, we'll do our first formal forecast in early April on a Thursday, April 2nd. So we haven't put out our first formal forecast yet. Okay. Right now, what we're doing is we're closely monitoring, obviously, the conditions. Um, we're looking at things like El Nino, which is warmer than normal water in the central and eastern tropical Pacific. When those waters are warmer than normal, that tends to mean more uh, more wind shear, which okay. is the change in wind direction with height in the atmosphere, and that tears apart hurricanes in the Atlantic. Right now, we don't have El Nino. It's it's close yeah um then we're closely monitoring it there may be some conditions coming up in the next few weeks it may change it and push it more towards el nino conditions but then the question is will those hang around through the summer if they do that would tend to knock down the storms if not then that would potentially cause a a, a, a conditions for a more active season so so we hear a lot about el nino i don't really understand exactly what El Nino is. What is that? Yeah, so El Nino is warmer than normal water in the central and eastern tropical Pacific Ocean. And when you're talking about warmer than normal water, you're talking about one to two degrees Celsius, say two to three, two to four degrees Fahrenheit warmer than normal, which doesn't really seem like that much. Right. But in the tropics, 
even like a one degree Celsius, two degree Fahrenheit warm and warm anomaly or warmer than normal is a big difference. And that causes big changes in how the atmospheric circulation okay. then responds. And that's how it impacts hurricanes in the Atlantic since we're thousands of miles away from where the El Nino is actually taking place. But it then alters where the thunderstorms form in the Pacific Ocean that then alters the atmospheric circulation in such a way that you get stronger upper level westerly winds that tend to tear apart hurricanes in the Atlantic and especially in the Caribbean. When you have an El Nino, you really tend to have very quiet seasons in the Caribbean. Okay, so El Nino, if an El Nino is present, you typically have less hurricanes because the winter is tearing them apart. Correct, that is correct. It doesn't, does it, does it make them form less often or does it just not allow them to strengthen? Um, a little bit of both. You, you okay. do see a slight reduction in the number of storms. They actually tend to form a little bit further north in El Nino years, but they tend to be just weaker overall. You tend to get fewer major hurricanes, the category three to fives, winds of 111 miles an hour or greater. And that's because basically that alters the El Nino increases the shear, especially in the deep tropics, which is where most of your strong hurricanes tend to develop and intensify. So how was last year's prediction? How did that go for you? Were you right? Wrong? Yeah, I mean, last year was we were pretty close. Okay. Um, so we do four forecasts. We do our first forecast in April, and then we updated in June, July, and August. And while August is two months into the hurricane season, the season starts June 1st. Yeah. Really, it doesn't ramp up until August. 95% of all your major hurricane activity occurs after the 1st of August in an average year. So... Um, our May, our April forecast was a little bit low. Our June, July, and August forecasts were pretty close. So our June forecast, we predicted six hurricanes, and we mm -hmm. got six hurricanes. So okay. that was that was good. Um, overall, the season was a little bit, I think, a little bit more active than we anticipated. Um, we use an integrated metric called ACE, or accumulated cyclone energy, which basically just says the frequency, the intensity, and the duration of storms. Yeah. Um, so long-lived hurricane like Dorian last year generated a lot of ACE, whereas if you get a really short-lived weak storm, it generates very little. We were a little bit below um, on the ACE, but all in all, I'd say it was a reasonably good forecast last year, especially the June, July, and August updates. Okay. And so we're not ready this year to to announce any predictions, uh, but, but it doesn't appear as though there is an El Nino out there right now. That's correct. Right now, we do not have one. There is a potential we might head more towards that, in the next few weeks, but then maybe coming back away from it. So there, unfortunately, when it comes to El Nino, we have what's known as a predictability barrier during the Northern Hemisphere spring, which basically means the models that we look at to forecast El Nino don't have a lot of skill during the spring, which okay. really stinks when we're trying to do seasonal right. hurricane forecasts during the spring. Um, so we do the best we can with the models that we have, and we also do just look at kind of physically what's going on to try to get a better insight into that. And we obviously also closely monitor a lot of other features as well, okay. uh, what's going on in the Atlantic, where what are the water temperatures in the Atlantic like? Because warmer waters in the Atlantic mean more fuel for the storms. Right. Are the pressures higher or lower? Is the shear stronger or weaker? We look at all these factors when we go into um, when we go and put out these seasonal predictions. So I always see a lot of storms rolling off of the coast of Africa. I guess it's the butterfly effect. Is that is that an area you ever look at over in the African uh, region to see what that's going to be producing? Yeah, we do. Um, we don't look at it as much early in, say, like February, March, April timeframe. Once we start getting to June and July, we look at Africa a lot. That's one of our really important predictors is basically what the winds are like, what the precipitation is like over Africa yeah. because that's where a lot of the, the um, basically those are the, they call them easterly waves, but they're basically thunderstorm complexes that roll off from Ethiopia and there's about 60 to 80 of them each year. Okay. Thankfully, most of them each year don't form into right. hurricanes, yeah. but when the conditions are con more conducive in the tropical Atlantic, you'll get more of them developing. And basically if the waves, not necessarily get more waves in an active season, but the waves that come off Africa tend to be more robust yeah. such that when they hit into the ocean, they're just already... Basically, they're 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 um, 
they're stronger, they're more intense already, so they're more likely to develop if the conditions in the tropical Atlantic are right. So when we do our forecasts, especially the August one, we look at what's going on in the Pacific, how that's going to impact storms in the Atlantic in terms of the El Nino effect. Okay. We look at what's going on in the Atlantic, and then we look at what's going on over Africa, and that's kind of like basically the three things that we're really closely monitoring in June and July especially. I see. So one one last question I want to ask you here. Uh, we have I've seen a lot of news articles and a lot I've read a lot about how everything is so much bigger. Fires are larger. Uh, the, it's so much hotter. It's so much colder. It's so everything is so extreme. Is that true? Are we seeing bigger storms than we've ever seen? In, in, in the world of hurricanes. Yeah, so if we look at landfalling hurricanes hitting the U.S., we haven't really seen any trend going back to the mid to late 19th century. If anything, there's been a slight downward trend oh, okay. in the number of landfalling hurricanes. Now, landfalling hurricanes are a very small subset of, thankfully, a small subset of what actually happens in the Atlantic. Right. If you look at, say, major hurricane activity, the Category 3s and above, there is a slight increasing trend um, since 1950 or so. Unfortunately, while we can go back with landfalls back about a century or so reasonably accurately, when you start looking at um, basin-wide storms, it's really hard prior to 1950 or so just because you didn't have the observations over, right. the op- over the open Atlantic to really know exactly what was going on. And especially with the really strong storms, when we don't observe them as well, it's hard to know exactly how strong those storms were. Whereas a storm like Dorian, we were flying multiple planes and constantly we had yeah. high resolution satellite imagery. Had that been 1950 or you know, 1920, we wouldn't have really probably known much that it was even there until it got fairly close right. to the Bahamas. So it's, it's a little bit hard to compare. It's kind of comparing apples and oranges. But basically, most of the modeling studies say that we may actually end up with fewer storms in the future, but that the storms that do form will be a little bit stronger. And I think there is some evidence that even observationally we are seeing that. It's just hard to quantify exactly the percentage growth just given the lack of the observational challenges that we have, especially prior to about 1990 um, globally and in the Atlantic prior to about 1970 or so. Wow. Well, I thank you so much for coming by today. It's always exciting to, to get a visit with you. Uh, hopefully we can visit with you whenever uh, the uh, prediction comes out and kind of follow that along. So, well, thank you so much, Bill. Thanks so much, Lee. Take care. Okay. Well, we want to thank those five nice people for being on our podcast and for volunteering to be part of our little crazy FNO conference experiment. Yeah. Wasn't that nice of them, Lee? That was very nice of them. I enjoyed talking to them. And as part of the PSA public service announcement portion of the FNO network, we want to remind everybody to do the five. Right, Lee? Yeah. What are those five? Well, number one, Wash your hands often for at least 20 seconds. Which is brand new information. Never, never asked for that before. Okay. Your turn. Well, I I don't have them in front of me, but (laughs) I know that one of them is don't touch your face. Don't touch your face. Very hard. Maybe the hardest of all of them. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I was I just mean, sitting there touching my face. Yeah, you, I'm rubbing my cheeks. Yeah, yeah. You, you look at all of a sudden you you realize you're touching your face. So mm-hmm. modify your behavior. Cough into your elbow. Okay, right. I like that. I got I got one. Yeah. Uh, stay at least three feet apart. That's a good one. That's a good one. I prefer yeah. six feet. Personally. I prefer I prefer like twenty five feet, but you know I'll take whatever. And then uh, if you feel sick, what should you do? Stay home. There you go. Ding, 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 ding. I'm good at that. Do the five, everybody. Let's let's uh, hashtag flatten the curve. Flatten the curve. 
flatten the curve, everybody. We can all work together on this. Let's get past this thing as fast as we can. And we thank you for listening and for subscribing. And please stay safe and stay healthy. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>